Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. One place we really got ripped off is when we shop for mortgages. I want to tell you about a new way to do that to lessen the rip-offs. That's coming up for you later. I want to talk right now about a technology that is appearing on more and more vehicles. I have an app for our, our electric car that I can go on, and when my teenager wants to drive the car, I go on the app. She's 19, by the way, and I'm still, is this an over-controlling parent? I go on the app, and I can control the horsepower of the vehicle and its top speed. I go to the app, hit the button, and right now while I'm talking to you, I went to the controls, and I've clicked the button, and now the car is going to have lower horsepower, lower top speed. And, you know, speed is so dangerous with a younger driver, and so I'm able to do that. This technology is so available now on many gas engine cars as well that it leads to the possibility of Big Brother and not me doing it to my own daughter, but government doing it to all of us, which was just adopted in Europe. That starting in two and a half years approximately, vehicles are going to automatically adapt to the posted speed limit. So if you're driving along and you're driving much faster than the speed limit, the car is going to automatically reduce horsepower going forward and will limit the speed and reduce engine power. Now, depending on the vehicle, there will be an override. So you, if you want to continue to drive above the speed limit, you'll be able to doing the override that will be available in each vehicle, gas engine or electric. But the idea is that as vehicles have a lot more power than they used to, that so many accidents are caused by excessive speed, that this will force you to slow down and you will actually have to work at it to get that speed higher and higher from that point. Now, this is one that I know I'm supposed to have an opinion on. I'm so confused about this because doing it to my own daughter where I reduce her ability to drive fast is me doing that as a parent and I think that's fine in my own household but the idea of government mandating that vehicles be equipped with this technology which is now off the shelf technology that automatically knows based on GPS where a vehicle is what the posted speed limit is, what you should be driving, what speed you should be driving, that having government play that role, that freaks me out. Maybe I'm missing something, but that freaks me out. Me doing it, I'm okay with. Government doing it, not so much. Ron is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Ron. Hey. I recently got a packet from a former employer offering three choices to opt out of my company pension. My company got bought by another company, and I retained my employment with that company. And now the former 
employer, which I had a pension with. They want uh, rid of you big time. They want to settle with me, yeah. Yeah, they want you out of there. And the reason is, is that old pension you have that's hanging out there from where you used to work is a liability for them. Yes. And they want to cut that liability loose, and they dangle in front of you saying, we will write you a check for X number of dollars if you'll get out of our lives. Basically. Yeah, you don't want to do it. Not under any circumstances. Can't think of any. You generally will be better served, and the reason they're trying to get rid of you is they don't want to pay you the lifetime benefit they have to pay you when you retire. Right. But it's your option, and a lot of people, in fact, most people, take the money. It's like, wow, I never even thought about money from those people. They're going to give me all this, and they're going to say, I can have a check, or I can put the money in an IRA, but whatever... They just want me to get lost, and they'll give me this money. Right. So if they want to give you that money that bad, what does that tell you? Wait uh, till you're older and take the money. Can you wait till age 65? Is that an option? Oh, yes. I can wait. Yeah, uh, wait, not, wait, because you know. what it does is it creates a lifetime stream of income for you that you couldn't duplicate if you took the money they're trying to get you to take and you then try to figure out how in the world to invest it to make money for yourself down the road, it, will be, it won't be impossible, but it's unlikely that you'll be able to do better than what they'll pay you if you start taking that money when you're 65. Aaron is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Aaron. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. Thank you. Aaron, tell me how I might be of service to you. Well, my, my husband and I, when we first met, we both were homeowners. Our houses were seven homes apart. And, you know. Wow. Is that how you met? You met in the neighborhood? Yeah. Yeah. In the local barbecue joint. <laughs> how great is that? Yeah. It was a lot of, it's, it's been a lot of fun getting to know our neighbors, too. But so shortly before we got married, I moved into his house and we rented out mine. Our rent is approximately $200 a month more than my mortgage payment, but we've had, you know, repairs and all kinds of things that have to get covered. And so we're basically breaking even. The house has gone up in value pretty steadily every year. Um, We live in Colorado, so our our housing market is nuts. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's gone up steadily. I'd say it's gone up close to like a rocket. Yeah, it's gone up sharply, though. I just didn't know if, it, if we'd be better off selling and banking the equity or investing the equity or if we'd be better off holding this rental. Well, the, the economy in Colorado is so strong for a reason. You want to live there. Everybody wants to live there, right? <laughs> right, right. So the question about selling has more to do with other possibilities. First, how long have you had a tenant in that property? Gosh, three and a half years. Okay, so you're past the time where you would have been able to sell that property without having to pay any capital gains tax. Mm-hmm. So, so your sale will be taxable on the gain mm-hmm. you've had. That's one factor that is already taken from the table. So mm-hmm. then that brings up a second factor. Do you have an idea how you would invest the money that over the long haul would make you more potential income than you will make from this property? 
I mean, you know, honestly, I, I don't have any specific ideas. I do feel like my husband and I are behind the curve on our retirement investing. So just the idea of having some nest egg beyond, you know, my future pension and things like that gives me some comfort. But having rental income would do that, too. So it's kind of, you know... I'm having a hard time deciding which would be better. Yeah, because this is almost a uh, lifestyle issue in terms of do you hate being a landlord? If you despise being a landlord, then that's why you'd sell the property. Because if you're already, uh, to a minor degree, cash flow positive, over the Mm -hmm. years, most of your costs involved with owning that as a landlord stay pretty much the same. But the Mm -hmm. rents that you earn over time will rise and later on, when you do decide to bail, you'll be able to sell at uh, yet a higher price than what it is now, barring some kind of real estate depression at some point in the future. But there's nothing that puts that on Colorado's horizon. So I come, mm-hmm. I come full circle to this question. Do you just hate being a landlord or not? I really don't. You know, we, we were lucky to be, be able to be very picky with our tenants because, it's just such a high demand area. So, you know, we got lots and lots of applicants and we got to be really, really picky. So it's really been a nice, an easy thing for us to pick up. Then I would keep it. Okay. I would keep it. If you had said to me that you had the big run up, it was still going to be a tax free sale. I would say maybe you would want to consider dumping it, but you, you aligned all the stars just right to keep that property and continue to be a landlord. So that's just what I would do. And and best to both of you, and you're brilliant or very lucky or both that you ended up in the right place with the right real estate at the right time in Colorado history. That's right. So best to you. Have a great day. Thanks so much. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. And John, you are trying to get a family member to do something or stop doing something they're doing right now. Fill me in on that. Yeah, I'm trying to get my mother to stop paying a local company $650 a year for a preventative maintenance contract on two gas furnaces. And it just seems like an incredible waste of time given that gas furnaces pretty much lasts for a year in and year out for years without any problems. So let's talk this through. Is this like with a heating and air conditioning contractor where they come and do maintenance, inspection, and seasonal cutover, or is this just in the event that the furnaces were to croak that it would replace well, it's, Yeah, they do come. They do stop by. I was here last year when they stopped by, and uh, they just kind of test the capacitors and make sure the fan belt is okay. And I asked them last year to change the furnace filters, thinking that that would come with the, uh, the price, and that didn't. There was an extra charge for replacing the filter. So basically, you got some guy shows up, and he just kind of opens the thing up and looks at a couple of things and sends my mother a huge bill. Okay, the 650 per unit. So the way you decide whether this is wasted money or not is it is right. a good idea twice a year to have those inspections done. So the yeah. way you know the 650 is money thrown down a, a toilet or not is whether, flush down a toilet would be the right expression, 
whether right. um, the cost of two service visits is a tiny fraction of the 650 and I would imagine that they are, but I think you want to get quotes, what does it cost to have an inspection of your furnace? And based yeah. on that number, you would be able to show your mom, clear as could be, that she should stop paying this $650 annual fee per furnace. Is it 650 well, per it, furnace it, or it, for it, two? That's for two furnaces, yeah. So 325 houses. a yeah. furnace. You know, it's right. it's weird. You may find that that is not an outrageous amount versus two service visits. Right. Hmm. So that's how you make that decision. You know, this is not like when somebody asks me if they should have an extended service contract on a flat screen TV or something. You know, we right, ex- right. We, ex- I, I, we we expect so much from our heating and air conditioning systems that having a, a maintenance checkup a couple times a year is actually money well spent because if they are running inefficiently and we don't know it, what they can end up right. costing us in energy bills is such that I'm not going to throw the flag at your mom automatically for paying 650 but if you want right. some evidence that the 650 is a bad idea, see what that service visit would cost times two, right. and then you right. have your answer. Yeah, they're they're just coming once once a year for the for the deal. Only so, uh, once a year? Just once a year. Oh, I bet I bet at once a year you're going to be proven completely right. But if your mom is stubborn about this, that's why you yeah. want to run the numbers, see where the numbers uh, come out. And if they do come out that this is a waste, it'll be pretty obvious, and you'll be able right. to help your mom. And your mom always knows best, but in this case, you may know better. Susie is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Susie. How you doing? Hi there, Clark. I am doing fabulously, and how are you? Great, great. You've got a story awesome. you want to share with me about a bank. Well, yes, a credit union, actually, and it's a revisit, because I had talked to you some time ago, and I had a credit union that wanted to become a bank. For oh, really you know I and, don't yeah, like you those. Were very, you were, I know, you were very upset, and so um, I kind of waited, and they did their little vote, and they voted not by a huge amount, but they did vote to become a bank, Yuck. so I was depressed and looking around for other things to do, and a few months later... They sent letters out and said, well, we've kind of changed our mind. We're not going to be a bank anymore. We're going to go back to being a credit union. Turns out that some of the biggest people who were members had said they were going to withdraw all their money. Well, isn't that people power great? You know, I'm sure a lot of people... would like to hear that. Yeah, you know, a lot of people that were voting probably didn't understand how awful it is when a credit union becomes a bank... And I sure do, because I know how different the culture is of a bank versus a credit union. And usually those are sweetheart deals for insiders, often board members of a credit union. When they do that conversion to a bank, there's nothing good about it for the members. And how neat that they abandoned that effort and remained a credit union. Isn't it wonderful? I just thought you would like to know that there was a happy ending to that story. That is wonderful. I appreciate you sharing that because there there were quite a few moves to convert credit unions to banks a few years ago. It's not happening a lot now because I guess the word's getting out how terrible it is when that takes place. 
Joel? Yeah, Clark, we got an Ask Clark here from Lynn. She wants to know, when is a good time or how do I know when the right time is to switch from having full coverage on my car or to liability? So generally, as a, as a rule, when the cost of collision and comprehensive for a year, you know, if you pay every six months, double that, pay monthly times 12, when that for a year exceeds 10% of the remaining value of the car, that's usually the point at which you dump collision and comprehensive. Now, the exception is if you couldn't afford the cost of replacing a car if something really bad happened to it, you would avoid my rule or ignore it. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. You got a question for me? Go to clark.com ask. Post your question away. We have multiple ways to answer your question. If you specifically want to try to get me to answer your question, you'll see a box there to check. So one of the most difficult things and frustrating things is applying for the biggest loan we ever take out, and that's a mortgage. The mortgage lending process is stuck in like 1965, and it's very difficult for a borrower to comparison shop. The whole industry is set up to try to keep you from comparison shopping. And if you go to sites that post rates and you click on something before you know it, because the personal information you have to give, you have one salesperson after another, after another, after another calling you. Because the reality is most shopping for mortgages today is the sites that you go to are just what are known as lead generators or lead, lead generation services. The whole idea is to get your name, your email address, your phone number, so that salespeople can hassle you trying to get you to take out your loan with them. Well, I'm really psyched about a guy who used to be with a bunch of the mortgage lenders who didn't like the way this process worked. And he started a new thing called Bundle. And Bundle does something completely different than others. Your information is not given to a lender. Their information is given to you. You're completely in control of the process. So you can contact different lenders on the bundle site, and it's designed for them to essentially bid for your business, kind of like an eBay for your mortgage loan. And so you're able to communicate with people over email, you're able to see various quotes from them, what kind of fees you'd have and all that. And then you decide, you decide who you're going to actually go to. And this is fantastic because the whole idea of bundle, and go look at the website and you'll see how you do it step by step. But the whole idea of bundle is somebody actually cared what the experience was like for you as a consumer. You know, bankers just don't have that in their DNA to care about you, put you first. So it took somebody breaking the business model, flipping it around and saying, you're the king, you're the queen, you're the customer, and you're going to be in control of the process. So if you're someone who's been so intimidated by dealing with the big bad banks, this is a way 
for you to be the one in control, in charge. And remember this, you need to shop for your loans. Most people are so intimidated by the process, they do not shop. They go to one lender, and that's all they go to. This is a way for you to get rid of any fear, any concern, or worry about the hassle of just endless calls, and you find the best deal for your loan for your home. Gabrielle is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Clark, how are you? Wonderful, thank you. You have something to share with me about your 401k that, well, they did something that's never good for you. Yes. I recently graduated college and got my first job, was offered a 401k account, so I went ahead and went with that. And I did not know what to do once I left the position with the company, and so I didn't really know what to do. So the check just came to me, and so I'm not sure what to do with it now. It's been taxed a lot, and so I'm not really sure what to do with that remaining amount so it actually hasn't been taxed it's been withheld from okay so what they did is let's say just i'm gonna give round numbers you got a thousand dollars in there they keep 200 send you Mm -hmm. 800 okay and does it look like that that they kept back 20 percent yes right so what how much total is it they sent to you it's not a whole lot it's under 500 dollars Oh, perfect. All right. So you need to, within 60 days of the date on the check that was issued to Mm -hmm. you from the 401k provider, you need to go somewhere and open an IRA, Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to make up the nearly $100 they took out as withholding. Okay. Because if you don't make up that money they took out and sent to the IRS you get hit with tax and penalties on the money. Okay. Okay. Are you All in a right. position you can make up what they withheld? I, yeah, I should be. So as far as opening an IRA, do you have one already? No. All right. So you can, there's, there's several things you can do. Do you have a good job now somewhere? Yes, but I don't have one offered through it. All right. So you can go open an IRA with um, less than $500. Can you add to it? Do you have enough money that you could come up with a total of 1000 or do we want to stick with the $500? let us let us stick with the 500 All right. Well, one place I can tell you would be great for that is, I think you can do that at Charles Schwab for 100 or more. Okay. So do you have a Charles Schwab office near you? I'm not sure. I live, I'm local to Atlanta, so Oh, yeah. There's probably. offices all over Atlanta. Any okay. big city, they have offices all over. Okay. So you go in there, tell them you got this distribution from a 401k, you want to deposit it in an IRA. Remember, do not let 60 days pass. Okay. I don't even want to get into what the taxes and penalties are if you do. Okay. So you go in and you take that check and take additional money, another check, that will make up exactly what that amount of withholding was. And they reflected on the information they sent to you the net check and what the what the total amount was in your 401k you give that exact amount to Schwab and you open an IRA with them and you could go in any of a number of things with them probably the easiest would be if you're not how knowledgeable are you about investing Um, not terribly just open a Schwab intelligent portfolio 
Okay. And it's a, what they do is you tell them you're looking for something to grow over the long haul. You want to do an intelligent portfolio. They'll say, okay, let's pick this one, and bam, you're done. Okay, perfect. So it'll take you like no time at all. Awesome. That's great. Thank you. Sure. And why does the new employer not offer you a retirement plan? <laughs> it's a small business. Okay. All right. That is a big problem for small businesses. The good news is that there are a lot more affordable plans available now for small businesses where they can offer 401ks at low cost. So, Joel, you're telling me, no, you're showing a different company? No, it's a $1,000 minimum? Uh-oh. Gabrielle. Yes. I'm wrong. I thought you could do an IRA for only 100 or more. Producer Joel says I'm wrong, that it is $1,000. So maybe we should do Betterment, B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T dot com. Okay. Look at that. They will be just fine for the amount of money you have. Okay. I'll look into that. All right. Best to you. Thanks for the quick catch, Joel. Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mike. Hi, Clark. Yeah, I have a couple of questions. I also have a tip for you if you have time. Let's hear the tip um, first. Well, so let me uh, express my gratitude for everything you've done for me, me and my family's wallet first. Thank um, you very although, much. Uh, Clark Stinks is very entertaining. I think the only thing that stinks about it is that you let people tell you that you stink. No, no, Nina, we're all, <laughs> we're all works in progress. And if I'm going to serve you, I need to have that channel for people to give feedback and let me know where I've come up short. Well, I just I, I find that what you do with your time um, to be very selfless, and um, you know I think it's uh, uh, if people don't want to listen, they don't have to listen. But I, I, I like I said, you've done a great, a tremendous amount for me and my family over the years, so I appreciate that. Well, you're kind to say that. Now you said you had a tip, though. Yeah. Um, so I, I heard a couple people call in and um, and question depositing cash into an online bank, and I have uh, Charles Schwab, and I don't have a branch near me. So what I do when I have cash is I buy a money order for a dollar, and then I take a mobile uh, picture of it, and I send it by mobile payment. Okay, that's ingenious. You are now an official member of Team Clark because I have never had a good answer to the questions people have had about the cash deposits and like Schwab doesn't accept cash and all that, and the online banks don't accept cash, and Everybody's got the mobile deposit things. That is so smart. Right. It works perfect every time. Thank you for that. So you're welcome. Um, you're now so an official my... member of Team Clark, by the way, which means oh, you, are, you are a Clark Howard University graduate student now. Well, that's great. I appreciate that. So my questions with 401ks is, and I don't know, I've been listening to you for probably 10 years, and I, I've never heard... Um, an answer to either one of these questions. So the first one is, my employer allows me to put up to 50% um, into my 401k. And I ratchet it up at two percentage points every year, as you suggest. And next year, I'm going ha- to hit the max per year that I can put in. So if I continue to... Five, zero percent in, of your pay? Well, no, no. So I'm, I'm going to hit the max that you're allowed to put oh, in per year. Oh, okay. Is, got yeah. it. Got it. All right. Right, right. So... After that, if I continue to put in 2%, obviously I'm going to be above that. So I was just curious as to what happens to your weekly deductions once you hit that max amount. 
So what else should you do to save for your future once you're already saving up to the statutory max you can put in a 401k? Well, not only that, but also like, um, you know, for, for me, I get, uh, you know, I have um, right now almost a couple hundred a week taken out of my check. So um, once I hit that point, obviously, um, I'm going to have a couple hundred dollars that I'm guessing is going to come back to me in my paycheck, right? They're not going to continue to deduct it. Right. They're not going to let you do excess contributions. Right. So right, do right. you so make, are you eligible to do a Roth IRA or do you make too much? Um, no, I can do a Roth. That would be what I would do next. Okay. And I, I like that in that combination anyway. Okay. Perfect. Because, you um, know, the 401k you're doing at work is pre-tax dollars, right? You're not in a Roth 401k? Um, I've got both. I do both. Oh. Well, yeah. then, as far as where I would stash extra cash, I would do the Roth 401k. And did your wife have a retirement plan? She does. She's got a Vermont State retirement plan. So for her, doing a Roth 401k would be great as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we certainly could do that. So that was my first question. My second question was, I do the target retirement fund. So if you hit that target retirement date and you continue to work, how does that rebalance? What a great question. I, you know, I only talk generally about accumulating because that's usually what people want to ask me about. And so the answer to your question is what happens is, let's say your target retirement year is 2040, just for argument's sake. When you hit 2040, if you're still working, what happens is that they continue to manage it as a basically an in-retirement portfolio. So they continually, even past that retirement date, most target retirement funds from that point will still continue to tweak the mix of investments, figuring the average age of retirement would be somewhere around 68 years old they would then base it on expected lifespan and the investment mix would keep changing past that time. Okay, that makes sense. So they don't just freeze it in place at that year. Yep, no, that makes perfect sense. I just, I never heard the answer to that question before, so I was curious. Yeah, and that's that's really clever. You are a planner, and I am impressed. And your money order idea... I'm double impressed. Jeff is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Jeff. You want to share with me a job offer that you got that you smell a rat, potentially? Yeah, kind of, sort of. Um, It's not really a job. It was an independent contractor position to purchase salvage lots, as in merchandise, material, any sort of thing that they got a line on, whether it was a train wreck or an excess inventory with a company or whatever. And I, I responded to that and uh, through the internet, I just responded to an email. And then last Friday, I get a very cryptic telephone call from a woman that says, are you the Jeff that responded to the, and I'm not allowed to say the name of company ad. And I said, yes. Are you going to be at your address on Monday? Yesterday. I said, yes. And she said, thank you very much, and hung up. Yesterday, I received overnight delivery, a cashier's check. looks very valid. I haven't taken it to a bank, but it's drawn on a major bank. Everybody would recognize for $1,680 with a long sheet of instructions that says I'm to cash this cashier's check and to keep $200 
and, and this is all framed in the guise of a test or a, a trial that I'm to take to check <laughs> The only thing that's different is the backstory they told you. This is the old bogus cashier check scam. Right. So that's interesting that the person just hung up and then spent the money on the uh, FedEx or UPS. I wonder if FedEx or UPS end up getting stiffed on the charges for those overnight deliveries if they use stolen credit cards or anything like that to send the bogus checks. It was uh, United States Postal Service overnight. Oh, so maybe they're ripping off the taxpayers postal service. Oh, and that's an interesting thing in itself because a smart criminal would not use the U.S. Postal Service because then that involves postal fraud statutes, which are more serious in terms of prison time. Well, these if people aren't scared. Caught. I mean, I hit him with an email because I checked the address and I'm supposed to advance the remainder of the money to. Yeah. And said, that address does not exist. And he hit me right back. He said, oh, yeah, it does. Just be sure to put it in such and such to such and such. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're not scared. Yeah, well, they may not even be in the United States. Right. Many times they'll use a courier. I think they refer to the criminals, the runners. There's a term sometimes the criminals use calling them rabbits. Right. And they collect the money. And so if anybody gets caught by law enforcement, it's the, it's the poor soul who just thought they were picking up some money as a courier, picking up money for somebody. And, and they end up the ones that end up behind bars, not the perpetrators. But this is not legit. There's no real job there. They're just trying to steal $1,400 from you. And you don't have $1,400 to lose, do you? No, I sure don't. Yeah, That's so no more contact with them and know that they were just trying to take advantage. Don't let them do it. And thanks for hitting us with a new wrinkle on the phony check scam. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.